the law school of america in laws of equity unjust enrichment occurs when one person is enriched at the expense of another in circumstances that the law sees as unjust where an individual is unjustly enriched the law imposes an obligation upon the recipient to make restitution subject to defenses such as change of position Liability for an unjust or unjustified enrichment arises irrespective of wrongdoing on the part of the recipient. The concept of unjust enrichment can be traced to Roman law and the maxim that no one should be benefited at another's expense, nemo locupletari potus aliena iactura or nemo locupletari debitcum aliena iactura. The law of unjust enrichment is closely related to, but not coextensive with, the law of restitution. The law of restitution is the law of gain-based recovery. It is wider than the law of unjust enrichment. Restitution for unjust enrichment is a subset of the law of restitution in the same way that compensation for breach of contract is a subset of the law relating to compensation. History. Roman law. In civil law systems, unjust enrichment is often referred to as unjustified enrichment. Its historical foundation of enrichment without cause can be traced back to the corpus juris civilis. While the concept of enrichment without cause was unknown in classical Roman law, Roman legal compilers eventually enunciated the principle of unjustified enrichment based on two actions of the classical Roman period, the condictio and the actio de in rem verso. The condictio authorized recovery by the plaintiff of a certain object or money in the hands of the defendant. The defendant was considered a borrower who was charged with returning the object or money. For the actio de in rem verso, the plaintiff bore the burden of specifying the cause for his demand, namely, demanding the restitution of assets that had exited the plaintiff's patrimony and entered the defendant's patrimony through the acts of the defendant's servants. The coherent concept of unjustified enrichment then appeared in the Justinian Code, based on Roman pragmatism with equitable considerations and moral principles of Greek philosophy. In the Justinian Code, condictiones were grouped into categories, such as when the plaintiff had given a thing or money. 1. In contemplation of a future result that did not follow. 2. For a reason disapproved by law or repugnant to public policy. 3. By mistake because payment was not actually due, or. 4. Without a good reason for the transaction. Further, the actio de in rem verso gradually expanded to cover instances in which third parties were enriched at the expense of the impoverished obligee, an unjustified enrichment was recognized as a source of obligations under the heading of quasi-contract. Civil Law The interpretations of Roman law principles on unjustified enrichment, by the French jurist Jean de Matt, and the German jurist Friedrich Karl von Sabigny, form the respective origins of the modern French and German law on unjustified enrichment. De Matt developed the French unjustified enrichment principles based on the actio de in rem verso, as well as a modified version of the Roman concept of causa, cause, which renders contracts actionable even when they are not normally recognized under Roman law. In contrast, the concept of unjustified enrichment is considerably broader and more frequently invoked in Germany and Greece to address issues of restitution as well as restoration for failed judicial acts. Equitable tracing is a particularly well-suited remedial tool. Common law. In systems of law derived from the English common law, the historical core of the law of unjust enrichment lies in quasi-contract. These were common law, as distinct from equitable, claims giving rise to a personal liability to pay the money value of a benefit received from another. Legal scholars from Oxford, 
Cambridge and Harvard at the turn of the 20th century began to rationalize these disparate actions into a coherent body of law. The principle said to underlie these actions was eventually recognized as unjust enrichment. Subsequent scholarship has sought to expand the explanatory power of the principle of unjust enrichment and it is now often said, albeit not without controversy, to encompass both common law and equitable claims. Framework. Cases of unjust, or unjustified, enrichment can be examined in the following way. Was the defendant enriched? Was the enrichment at the expense of the claimant? Was the enrichment unjust? Does the defendant have a defense? What remedies are available to the claimant? These questions are a familiar part of the modern English law of unjust enrichment, having been popularized by the writing of Professor Peter Burks and expressly endorsed by English courts. The framework provides a useful taxonomical function in Australian law, though the concept of unjust enrichment has been subject to inconsistent treatment by Australian courts, as discussed below. Stated at this level of abstraction, the framework is a useful grounding for comparative study between common law and civil law jurisdictions. The meaning of unjust, unjust factors be absence of basis. Generally speaking, the mere receipt of a benefit from another is unobjectionable, and does not attract legal consequences. The exception is where such receipt is unjust or unjustified. Both civilian and common law legal systems have bodies of law providing remedies to reverse such enrichment. A conceptual split, albeit one not necessarily coextensive with the common law civilian distinction, is between systems based on an unjust factor approach and systems based on an absence of basis approach. Common law systems such as those of England, Australia, Canada and the United States typically adopt the unjust factor approach. In this analysis, the claimant must point to a positive reason why the defendant's enrichment is unjust. Examples of unjust factors that ground a claim for restitution include, mistakes of fact or law, total failure of consideration, duress, undue influence, and the Woolwich ground. Civil law systems such as those of France and Germany typically adopt an absence of basis approach. On this analysis, the defendant is obliged to make restitution if there is no basis for her receipt, for example, because the contract under which the defendant received the benefit was void ab initio. Some common law systems have shown signs of a possible shift towards this approach. In most cases, the conceptual approach does not affect the outcome of a case. For example, suppose that A makes an oral contract with B under which A will pay $100 for certain services to be provided by B. Further suppose that A pays the money but B discovers that, pursuant to legislation, contracts for such services are void unless in writing. B refuses to perform. Can A recover his payment? On both approaches, B is unjustly enriched at A's expense. On the absence of basis approach, B's enrichment has no legitimate explanatory basis because the contract was void. On the unjust factor approach, there has been a total failure of consideration, that is, A has received no part of the bargain for counterperformance, restitution follows automatically from the fact of invalidity. Remedies for unjust enrichment, personal and proprietary restitution. The remedy for unjust enrichment is restitution, the restoration of what was conferred to the claimant. In short, the correcting of the injustice that occurred when the claimant suffered a subtraction of wealth and the defendant received corresponding benefit. Restitution can take the form of a personal or a proprietary remedy. Where a personal remedy is awarded, the defendant is ordered to pay the money value of the benefit received. This personal money award is the typical form of restitution ordered. Where a proprietary remedy is awarded, the court recognizes, or declares, 
that the defendant has a beneficial or security interest in specific property of the defendant. Whether proprietary remedies can be awarded depends on the jurisdiction in question. In English law, the orthodox view is that unjust enrichment generally triggers personal, rather than proprietary remedies. This is because the law of quasi-contract only generates personal money awards, either a liquidated debt, as in actions for money had and received or money paid, or a sum assessed by a civil jury or the court itself, as in quantum Merowit or quantum balabat. Scholars seeking to expand the explanatory power of unjust enrichment have argued that other areas of the law such as subrogation and claims to traceable substitutes form part of the law of unjust enrichment. This view has been accepted, though its implications remain unclear. In Australian law, actions derived from the common money counts continue to generate only personal remedies. The doctrinal basis of subrogation is not unsettled, it has nothing to do with unjust enrichment. Claims to traceable substitutes are a part of our law of property, not unjust enrichment. National Systems United States The Restatement Third, of restitution and unjust enrichment states that unjust enrichment is enrichment that lacks an adequate legal basis. It results from a transfer that the law treats as ineffective to work a conclusive alteration in ownership rights. The North Dakota Supreme Court has ruled that five elements must be established to prove unjust enrichment. An enrichment. An impoverishment. A connection between enrichment and the impoverishment absence of a justification for the enrichment and impoverishment, and an absence of a remedy provided by the law. Effectively, the civil law doctrine is now in effect in North Dakota, as it has been in Louisiana and in Puerto Rico, both of which are mixed jurisdictions. In Massachusetts, there are some decisions denying recovery and restitution by the breaching party although this is not generally the rule in the United States. In 1999, Unspent funds incorrectly deposited during 1998 into a wrong bank account were frozen when a judge ruled it was unjust enrichment, the unintended recipient sued. United Kingdom The law of unjust enrichment in England rapidly developed during the second half of the 20th century. It has been heavily influenced by the writings of jurists from Oxford and Cambridge. England adopts the unjust factor approach. In Scotland, the law developed in a piecemeal fashion through the 20th century, culminating in three pivotal cases in the late 1990s. The most crucial of these was Shilladay v. Smith, in which Lord Roger essentially laid the bedrock for what is now considered modern Scots unjustified enrichment law, bringing together the fragmented law into one framework, drawing from the principles of Roman law upon which Scots law as a whole is based, note the term unjustified is preferred to unjust in Scotland. Unjustified enrichment is more established as a fundamental part of the Scots law of obligations than unjust enrichment is in English law. Canada. The doctrine of unjust enrichment was definitively established as a full-fledged course of action in Canada in Pectus v. Becker, 1980. To establish unjust enrichment, the plaintiff needs to show 1. Enrichment. 2. Deprivation. 3. Causal connection between enrichment and deprivation and, 4. Absence of juristic justification for the enrichment. The concept of deprivation and enrichment are extremely broad. Deprivation refers to any loss of money or money's worth in the form of contribution while A is enriched if B contributes to the acquisition of assets in A's name. The causal connection between enrichment and deprivation must be substantial and direct. The absence of juristic reason is satisfied if a plaintiff establishes a reason why the benefit ought not be retained, or if the defendant demonstrates a convincing argument in favor of retention of the property. 
Remedy for unjust enrichment is frequently an imposition of constructive trust over the property unjustly retained. The Law School of America. The content used in the podcast is licensed by the Wikimedia Foundation incorporated under a Creative Commons attribution, share alike license. The text has been modified for audio. The content of these podcasts is for informational purposes only and do not constitute professional advice. These podcasts are not associated with the Wikimedia Foundation in any context. The Law School of America.